bitterness is poisonous. That's the lesson ahead of us on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Someone has observed bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. I'm sure you've seen that played out before your very eyes. Whether it's a family member or friend that's consumed with bitterness, or maybe that's you today. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor shares God's perspective on bitterness as we turn to our study of 2 Samuel. We'll pick up where we left off in chapter 14. That happens to be verse 12. Chapter 14 is where we are. We didn't quite finish last time as the Lord would just have us pause on that beautiful verse, how God has devised a way to save us. Now, remember that David's home, King David, his home, representing his family, is in the middle of great strife and conflict. He is experiencing the consequences of forgiven sin and his family's going sideways, his kids are going sideways. He even in a sense has gone a little sideways. And it was in this weakened state we saw in the first few verses of chapter 14 in 2 Samuel, it was in this weakened state that someone saw his weakness as an opportunity to better position themselves for the future. His name is Joab. And Joab literally finds a weak a, a woman and in David's weakened state he sends this woman to him with a message but the bible says as we saw last time that Joab put fear into this woman's heart which you know fear is always it's always used by the enemy to tempt us into bad decisions fear is a good thing it's good in its proper context but when you have the fear of man that almost always leads to bad decisions. So here she has the fear put into her by this man of authority. And then he, the Bible says he put words into her mouth. So as she goes to David, she's really going as a fearful woman that's been manipulated by Joab with his words in her mouth. And pick up with me where we left off in verse 12. Then the woman said, please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord, the king. And he said, say on. And the woman said, why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? Which, by the way, verse 13 isn't true. David hasn't schemed anything against the people of God. He actually is in a place, the best place he's been in a while in relationship to God since Bathsheba. So he has no desire to scheme. Again, this is, this is Joab speaking through her. And the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty in that the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we will surely die, verse 14, and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, 
but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. And that's where we parked last time and spent a considerable amount of time just glorying and rejoicing in the way that God has devised to bring us back into relationship with him. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. If you weren't here last time, get the study. It will encourage you. Verse 15. Now, therefore, I have come to speak of this thing to my Lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. Your maidservant said, The word of my lord the king will now be comforting. For as an angel of God, so is my lord the king in the discerning of good and evil. And may the lord your God be with you. There was so much involved in what she was sharing. But she ends with this very flattering, Oh, you're, let your voice be like the angel of God. And we mentioned, and it's worth repeating, be careful when someone's flattering you. It's almost as if you're being buttered up for the kill. And the problem with flattery often is that it comes in a time where we're so willing to accept it. We, we're in a place where, yes, that's right, I've been waiting. We don't ver verbalize that, but we think it, you know, that I've been waiting for someone to notice that. Nobody notices that. About, and, and you're just being buttered up for something else. Don't accept the flattery. All the glory goes to the Lord. Just point people to the Lord. Give, you know, somebody's, God, God uses you in somebody's life. Just rejoice with them that God used you. Just take it to the Lord. Don't take the glory to yourself. Now, her conclusion was, after the story that she shared, is that if you feel this way about my family, as she shared her story, the made-up story, then why have you banished your son Absalom? Trying to bring him to a place of tension. And if it's true, in a sense, that if this family situation isn't worked out with David, that the kingdom will suffer. But God is sovereign over the kingdom. And that's what's missing in her. God will take care of his kingdom. Just like God took care of David while he was on the run from King Saul. Just how God took care of the kingdom when King Saul was the king. And we need to never, never forget and always remember that despite the issues in your life, God is going to take care of you. He's sovereign in his life. What he's promised, he's, what, what he's begun in you, the Bible promises that he'll complete it in your life. He isn't going to end halfway, even though you might feel that way. There is that sense where David has responsibility when it comes to Absalom, for sure. But in another sense, Absalom is not willing to return. So he's in exile for about five years. But there's also a place where he's not willing to return humble, repentant, and making things right with his dad, let alone making things right by turning himself in after he murdered his own brother. So there is an issue here with David and some of the mistakes that he's making, but also Absalom. And before we move on, verse 14 can't be skipped again. Just to be reminded that God does not take away a life. That's not his heart to destroy your life. God's heart is for you to follow through with the means that he's devised to save you. And to me, that's just one of the most beautiful scriptures in all the Bible. God has made a way when there is no other way. And that's just his faithfulness. So glorious, the heart of God toward man, toward rebellious man, toward men and women in their worst condition, 
God, the Bible says, is so rich in mercy that he loved us so very much that while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Like he devised the way. And I love that when I think the means that God devised so that even though I've been separated by my sin, he made a way so that I could be made right. Not only that, not just being made right, not just having my sins forgiven, not just being rescued from darkness, not just from, not just from the, the practicalities, but on top of all that, he's given me an eternal home and an eternal hope, and he's given me a plan and a purpose. He's revealed a plan and a purpose for your life and mine. It wasn't just to save us from our sins, but to give us the fullness of life. When you think of the phrase eternal life, don't think of the phrase only in time, because often that's what we that's how we think of eternal life. You're like, eternal is a long time, eternity, a long time. And, and that is a very true aspect of salvation. Salvation is, is beyond the ability, beyond what you can even think of time. It's far beyond that. It's, it's, it's far beyond it what we can, even the smartest physicists, physicists, you know what I mean, could even think. When they think about time and space and matter and all of that, it's well beyond my mind. It's far beyond that. But don't think of it just as eternal as time. Also think of it as a phrase, eternal could also be translated age abiding. And the idea behind age abiding is a, is a value of time. Not just extending a length of time did God save us, but he also saved us with a new value in our lives, like a weight of purpose now. Like God has saved us so that we might fully enjoy life as he intended, not just within the sense of the fallen world that we live in, but for all eternity to experience the presence of God like Adam and Eve did in the garden, perfect and pristine, forever and ever and ever. Amen. I mean, that's the word, eternal life. He's devised a way for us to enjoy it. And now notice verse 18, David, he's starting to sense something. Because he was a very smart man and a very discerning man. And he says, the king answered and said to the woman, please don't hide from me anything that I ask you. And the woman said, please, my lord, uh, my lord, the king, speak. And the king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all of this? And the woman answered and said, as you live, my lord, the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord, the king, has spoken. For your, current, your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant. This is interesting. I don't know if you've ever had this happen before, but it happens with me quite a bit. I believe it's the manifestation of the discerning of spirits, which we will see in, a, in, a next, in our next study. But as you're talking to someone, you're listening to them, and maybe parents with your kids, certainly happens with the kids, or in a relationship where you're listening to someone and you begin to think, you might even verbalize it, this doesn't sound like you. This doesn't sound like you. I talk to you a lot, and this doesn't sound like you. And you may even, if the Lord's like really working in it, he may even give you the person or the situation or, you know, what have you been reading or what have you been watching or who have you been talking to, to or they, God might even give you the name of the person that's been influencing, just like David here. David just nailed it. He didn't ask for any other people in his kingdom. He didn't ask, you know, did, now I'm going to give you a, a multiple choice. Did so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, no, he just said, hey, is Joab behind this? Because you sound a lot like Joab. 
Jesus did the same thing in a, in a similar way with Peter. When Peter was coming up with his idea of how he's going to protect Jesus and how Jesus isn't going to go to the cross. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Not because Peter was Satan. He wasn't in any way whatsoever. But because he sounded. Those were the words of the devil in the mouth of Peter. Not that he was demon-possessed or anything like that. But what Peter was saying didn't align with the will of God. What Peter was saying aligned with the will of the devil. And it was rebuked as such by Jesus himself. That's what's happening here. The gift of discerning. We're going to get into the discerning of spirits next time because it's so important in the context of this section. Um, but for, for now, just, just know that the Lord can reveal things to you. That you can pray and ask, where's this coming from? There's so many times in ministry where we're just talking to someone or we hear a situation and where's this coming from? Not necessarily that it's demonic, although demonic world is definitely real. We don't know if it's from demonic or not, but like it's okay to pray and ask the Lord, where's this coming from? A lot of times with your kids, they'll be talking, you see something in them and you go, you know, what have you been? And it might even lead you to go check the computer and check the history and find out what they've been into because what they've been into is going into the heart and the Bible says, whatever comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. That's, that's deeply rooted in your heart. And it may be some YouTube video. It may be some chat history. It may be somebody that's gone, come into their life and started influencing them. Or it may be some gossip within the church that's been... It may be, but here's David. He's listening to her. And as he's t- walking along with her, listening, giving advice, he finally goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is Joab behind this? And she was very eager to sell Joab out. Good. Because she didn't really sell them out. She told the truth. And one of the phrases, let me tell you, one of the phrases that frustrates me the most when we're trying to get to the bottom of truth is when somebody says, and, and I'll come and I'll look you in the eye, I go, tell me the truth. Did so-and-so, is somebody involved in this? What's the name? Usually when there's a situation uh, and they, somebody comes to me, I'm going to ask them, what's the name? Who is it? And you know one of the responses that just, just please, if you use this phrase, stop it. The phrase is something along the lines, well, you know, I don't want to throw so-and-so under the bus. So you equate telling the truth about a devastating situation is actually throwing somebody under the bus? Where is that in the scriptures exactly? Can you just shout it out? Give me the scripture. I'll wait. It's quiet. Because the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. And the Bible tells us that if there are those that are divisive, hey, Stop it right then and there. If there are those that are in sin, stop it right then and there. If there are those that are God, stop it right then and there. When did that ever become, well, I don't want to throw I don't want to, you know, and we hear a lot of things. I don't want to snitch. That's what, that's what kind of why the phrase I grew up with. We don't want to snitch anyone, you know, and snitches get stitches or whatever. That dumb stuff, you know. That's so dumb. Why won't you just tell the truth and tell, speak the truth in love? Instead of creating these barriers Well, really, what is being said, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, is actually what you're saying is you would rather choose that person other than the Lord and being honest and forthright. Now, if it requires you to go back to the person and say, look, I'm going to tell the truth about this situation before you, great. But the idea of throwing people under the bus by telling the truth about a situation, that's just not from the Lord. And if you don't agree with me and you challenge me on that, study the scriptures and and email me. I'd love to talk to you about it. 
Because as a pastor, this is what I'm dealing with a lot. Where people are not willing to speak the truth for a variety of reasons and they come up with all sorts of, all sorts of thoughts and, and they say, hey, look, man, the truth will always win out. The truth will always be brought to light. And God will always be gracious when we walk in the light of truth. As you notice with this woman in verse 20, um, she already said, your servant Joab commanded me, verse 20, to bring about this change of affairs. Your servant Joab has done this thing. But my Lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know all things that are in the earth. And the king said to Joab, all right, I've granted this thing. Go there, therefore, and bring back the young man, Absalom. You see, even though the truth came out, he still brought it. Go ahead, bring Absalom back. There's some truth to what you said. I don't like how it all went down, but there's some truth to it. We should take care of that. Bring him back. Verse 22, then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. You know why? Because the king just spared his life. <laughs> he, he was very subversive, very manipulative, and the king was very gracious with him. Praise God for that. Joab said, today your servant knows that I found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose, went to Geshur, brought Absalom to Jerusalem, and the king said, let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but not, did not see the king's face. So this wise, discerning, smart man, David, agrees with part of what was being said. Doesn't agree with the way it went down, but agrees that, yeah, you know what? Absalom needs to come home. Now, at the end here in verse 24, there are those that still see, uh, and you read different commentators, and you read it, and you may come to your own conclusion, but the two prevailing views in those that have commented on this section is, on the one side, there are those that say David is holding on to the issue and not willing to fully reconcile with Absalom. On the other side, there are those that say that Absalom is very unwilling to make amends with his father, and this separation is more Absalom than it is David. And instead, he has already set the path in the last five years for the removal of his dad. Because as you see it go down in the, in the coming chapters, you know that that... that the way it all worked out did not happen overnight. And there are different twos. I, I actually lean toward uh, the rottenness of Absalom and how we see all the decisions he makes are not approved by God and they're totally in sin. And you'll see that. Not only, you know, the, the rape of his sister was horrific, but the murder was worse. But even then, David is... Um, been forgiven of so much a greater sin with what he did with Uriah and it's just all these things working out with five years of separation now notice in verse 25 now in Israel there was no one who praised who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him does that remind you of anybody you guys that have been with our study for a while anybody want to yell out a name does it remind you King Saul we're back to a very similar, the people choosing outward appearance. Just really, Absalom must have been just a really good-looking guy with long hair. And, you know, just when he cut his hair, check it out, verse 26. The care, at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. That's about five to seven pounds of hair. 
And I would just like the last inch of it would be fine with me. I don't need five pounds, but I would like a little more than I have. But here he is with the flowing, you know, you get the picture. It's like, what a dude. And he probably walked around with somebody fanning his hair all the time. So it was flowing and it's just, just something very valuable. What was that guy's name that was uh, Fabio? Yeah. How's that mental picture for Absalom? Verse 27, to Absalom were born three sons, one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent him again the second time, he would not come. So he said to the servants, see, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. And then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Look, I, send you the, I, look, I sent you to you saying, Come here so that I may send you to the king to say, Why have I come from Gesher? It would have been better for me to stay, be still there. But now therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there's any iniquity in me, let me execute it. Let him execute me. Uh, which was a pretty bold statement because there was a lot of iniquity in him and for his murder, he should have been executed. And so, you know, when you don't deal with sin in your life, it always comes up and it'll come up out of your own mouth. He, he just spoke righteously of the condition of his life. He was guilty and he lays it out there. So Joab went, verse 33, to the king and told him and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. So again, there's a total of five years of separation, five years of being in exile and separated and then coming back and not being able to see. And, you know, I think David was upset. I think he was avoiding the situation, which avoiding situations or running away from situations always make them worse. But finally, Absalom gets to the place where he's done. He's done with this. He's not asking for a meeting with his dad to reconcile. But, but rather, he wants to be justified before the people. He, he, wants, he wants, everyone loves him and already cares for him and already thinks he's the best looking guy in town. Now he wants to be justified. He's building up on this pattern of wanting to draw people to himself. And he's not so much wanting to reconcile as much as he wants to get out of exile and get the attention that he thinks he deserves. He wants to be taken to court, or so he says, to be found guilty of murder or to be given the freedom to live his life. And in his mind, he'd rather be slain than to go on living in this embarrassing, shameful house arrest, being the king's son, but not being connected with the king at all, with his dad. In some ways, I think David was being merciful with his son, not bringing him to trial. But in another way, you know, he's avoiding. And, you know, any family situation, you know, there's always issues going on that we're not given all the issues, but a difficult one nonetheless. You're listening to Abounding Grace and a message from Pastor Ed Taylor in 2 Samuel. And you can request a CD copy for $2 when you give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. Or look for this message on our website at calvaryaurora.org. There you'll find a wide variety of resources designed to help strengthen your relationship with Christ and grow in God's abounding grace. Again, we're at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is by downloading the Calvary Aurora app. 
do a search for Calvary Aurora. When you do, you'll also notice the Grace FM Colorado app. That would be a good one to add to your mobile device, too. Again, that's the Calvary Aurora and the Grace FM Colorado apps, a great way to fill up on the teaching of God's Word throughout the week and stay connected with us. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing Bible teaching to your station every day, and we rely on the support of our listeners to do that. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'll send you the book Radical Prayer by Manny Mill. So call 877-30-GRACE so we can get that right out to you. Let me also give you our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. On most weekends, you can hear Pastor Ed teach at his home church at Calvary Chapel, Aurora. And if you're in the area, we hope you'll stop by. Worship and study the Word with us Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 845 and 1045 in the morning. Catch a midweek service, too, on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We can tell you how to get here, as well as more information about the church at calvaryaurora.org. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 2 Samuel. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.